Hello there, and welcome to episode number 121 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from the Smart Bitches Trashy Books blog, and with me is romance author Rose Lerner. Rose Lerner writes historical romances that were a little ahead of their time when they first came out a couple years ago, but now are hitting the market right when readers are all saying to each other, I want to read historicals where not everyone's nobility and people are involved in nefarious, shady things. And Rose Lerner's like, yeah, I got that right here. Here you go. One of her books is currently 99 cents. It was a bestseller on the Smart Bitches Dear Authors bestseller list. We talk about Georgette Hare, the best way to take a compliment, the most hairific way to recommend a book, her career that began with Dorchester, and the short story that just went up on her blog today, which involves vampires and dragons. Yes, dragons and vampires, because obviously. At one point in the podcast, we do discuss... The Myers-Briggs Personality Indicator, specifically the NT type, that's N for Nancy, T for Thomas. We don't clearly define during the podcast what that means, so I wanted to make sure I mentioned it now. The NT types are intuitive thinkers. The N stands for intuition and the T is for thinking. The types were paired together in the work of psychologist David Kiersey, who put them into sets. The NTs, or intuitive thinkers, are according to Kiersey, very detail-oriented and analytical. And... Lerner has a theory about those personality types, both as writers and characters, and it's kind of interesting. You'll hear that towards the middle of the podcast, but I didn't want you to get there and be like, what are you talking about? This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of My Cowboy Homecoming, the steamy new novel from Z.A. Maxfield, available on December 2nd. And now, on with the podcast. You have had a very strange historical romance writing career. This is true. I mean, that's one way of putting it. I can't argue with that. Yeah. So if you would please, just list to, to get started, if you would get, uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you write and when you first started publishing, which was a really long time what? ago, internet-wise. <laughs> that's true. Um, so I'm Rose Lerner, and I write uh, historical romance, Regency Set, Um and I'm currently working on a small town series, uh, Lively St. Lemiston. And the first book, Sweet Disorder, which is about a hotly contested local election, is on sale for 99 cents everywhere now. The second book, which is about a con artist and a philanthropist heiress who needs to get her hands on her dowry, so they agree to a marriage of convenience. Um, that one comes out in January. And I first, gosh, was it 2010 or 20, I always forget, I think it was 2010, I think it was early 2010 that um, my first book, In for a Penny, uh, came out with Dorchester. And that was um, around the time that Dorchester was beginning to sink to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. There was a high was. water line on the side of that ship that we were all kind of going, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd heard rumors, but... There are always rumors, and I didn't, you know, I was really new, and I'd been trying, I mean, I'd been trying to, to get published for a long time. You know, honestly, I don't even know if I can say that I regret it. Um, it was a really, in some ways, traumatic, but, you know, that first book, it, it did, you know, it got buzz. Um, it got me out there, like it started my career, so. I don't know. know if you would be where you are now, if not the experiences that you had. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the cumulative effect of your publishing career results <laughs> in a great deal of knowledge now, which is very a very good thing to have. Yes. Because in that time, and that was four years ago, which seems like it's, you know, three or four years ago doesn't seem like a lot of time, but in the internet age, that's like the Mesozoic era. 
<laughs> That's a long ass time ago in publishing land. I mean, that was before self publishing was yes. like a viable option. Oh, self publishing was for like people who who were vanity publishing, <laughs> exactly with a mimeograph machine in their basement, and they would like get the copy of the book and then take a big sniff of the paper, like, oh, it smells so good, my my vanity. But no, no one was doing publishing like self publishing. Oh, and and print on demand was the devil. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a whole other era. And you were writing historicals that didn't fit a, a real clear market at the time. And the good thing about Dorchester is that they had really smart editors who had really good taste. And they took a lot of chances on some way out there books that now you're like, wow, that <laughs> book set a trend, you know? Yeah. Like nobody thinks what Marjorie Liu was writing is so outlandish at right now but back then it was like wait you're writing about women who are pis with ghosts and what <laughs> yeah and i feel like the show me line was really big at the, like really new and exciting at the time too it was very different so there's a there's a lot to be said for the fact that they could take risks like that and it is still a shame that they fell to the bottom of the ocean yes so you got your rights back and you sold these books to sam hain mm-hmm now, the ones that are coming out in December, and by the way, Sweet Disorder is a number one bestseller on our bestseller list. Really? As of yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Yes. The Smart Bitches Dear Author Bestsellers list, which is culled from the secretive depths of our affiliate data, which is really not that big of a secret. Uh, Sweet Disorder <laughs> is a number one bestseller for the past week. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. So you can actually, because, you know, you've seen these like somewhat sketchy awards you can now proclaim yourself a number one best-selling author you go right ahead you run all the way to the bank with that there's a website to back it up you can actually cite your source that's awesome yes thank you for telling me yes you're welcome enjoy i have been watching i i usually try to not look at my amazon ranking too often but this week i've been well when it's 99 cents and it's yeah. and, and there's good buzz behind it because one of the things i want to talk to you about for certain is that you write really interesting historicals. I try. Well, I, <laughs> I know it's like, let me take this compliment. <laughs> Did you ever? Gently, um, gently. Have you, read, have you read the Corinthian, uh, the Georgette Hare? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. There's this bit at the beginning where his brother-in-law or something tells him that he's like the best dressed man in town or something. And he's like very, you know, very bored and not. And he's like, one does one's poor best. <laughs> That's a great I way to accept it. I want to say that when people give me compliments. It's like I know that it would just sound weird. <laughs> it sounds awesome. <laughs> I think about it all the time. So you have been writing historicals that are not set in the upper classes, that aren't even entirely in the Regency. Am I correct about that? Well, they are. I mean, the Regency the... technically is like, what, 1811 to 1820? Yes. So I think Depending actually... on who you ask, because three people just said no out loud, but we'll just pretend that that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different categories for what the Regency is. Some people say it's like the French Revolution to the end of the Napoleonic Wars, and it's like the French Revolution to like the Reform Act, whatever. Anyway, I mean, they are all technically, the, like I think, in for a penny is 1819. So it's right um, on the tail end. Yeah. You're writing about characters who aren't all uh, nobility. No. And you are writing about some very, not seamy characters, but a little on the sketchy side. <laughs> well, this this guy in uh, the book in January, True Pretenses, is, um, yeah, he's a con artist. He grew up in the slums. Like, yeah. So tell us about that book. It was inspired by this movie, Brothers Bloom. Um, 
which is it's like Mark Ruffalo and Adrian Brody are like con artist brothers and um, Adrian Brody decides that he wants to go straight and um, Mark Ruffalo is like totally heartbroken because all he wants in life is to like travel the world like conning people with his little brother but he's like okay like I'm gonna make this happen for you and so he's like but we're gonna do one last con there's always gonna, one last con. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, we're going to con Rachel Weiss, who's this like eccentric heiress, out of, out of her money. But secretly, his real plan is that Rachel Weiss and Adrian Brody will fall in love, and then he'll marry her, and then he'll be like rich and taken care of for the rest of his life. Oh. Yeah, and, and it's, this plan works in the movie. And, um, God, I don't want to spoil the movie, but um, I was very unhappy with the end of this movie. And so you were like, I'm going to write this better. Yeah, I was extremely unhappy on like a number of levels. And as I was sorting through like how I thought it was just like how, it, you know, I just very unhappy. And it, it, you, could, you could see it coming from like the first five minutes of the movie that this was going to happen. But I just I was so depressed. I like couldn't speak. Physically All right. Who dies? Like an hour. Do, do they both? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo dies. Of course. He sets it up because he doesn't want to live anymore without his brother. Right. Right. So he's oh, not going to live without his brother. Right, so he sets up the foreshadowing. <laughs> so yeah, so I was really unhappy, but I was thinking about it, and I was like thinking about the Rachel Vice character, and I was like, you know, like Mark Ruffalo has picked this guy for this girl for his brother, who is just like him, who's like the perfect girl for him, and then he's like, and it shouldn't work, like he shouldn't be able to set her up with his brother like he should then fall in love with her himself and then I was like oh this is what's gonna so that's what the book is about the brother wants to go straight um the hero uh, whose name is Ash is like okay well, great we're gonna do one last con to like buy you a commission and um set you gonna... up with a legitimate career yeah you exactly big doofus <laughs> So he, um, but then the the woman, the heiress that he has arranged for his brother to marry, it doesn't really. He and his, she and his brother don't really hit it off, and um, eventually, you know, he has to marry her himself, and, and things happen. Things happen, and there's sexy Secrets times. Secrets come to light. Oh, there are many sexy times. Yes, I understand that there's a great deal of interesting sexy times. Yeah, you know. Uh, my first book, In for a Penny, I think my favorite review that I ever got for it was, I think it was on Amazon, I'm not sure, but someone described it as like Georgette Hare with explicit fellatio. Oh my god! Have you not put that on the covers of your books? <laughs> I should, right? Isn't that exactly what, like, like Georgette exactly Hare, what I want. Like Georgette Hare with explicit fellatio, and I know five or six people just sat up and went, I would like to read that right now. There's, I mean, that's almost, though, no, I think that surpasses a review that says this book has too much sex. <laughs> I mean, I have definitely gotten those as well. Oh, those are, those are the best kinds of reviews. I am completely serious that if I ever decide to sell reviews, that is the only review I will sell. So I will sell. I worry that people will see that and then they'll buy the book and then they'll be disappointed though, because there's not enough sex because <laughs> <laughs> there was I not enough like, blowjob in this I book. Right? I mean, I write a fair <laughs> amount of, of sex scenes, but, but like not—I don't know. Like, I don't, don't spend the whole book naked. Consider Just... the heat level that high on my books? I don't know. That's hilarious. So, one of the things you wrote to me about a while ago, and if I have to jog your memory, that's totally cool, was that when you were looking at 
the rise of ebooks and the success of historicals with unique or difficult heroines who were not easily likable and more of a challenge for the reader to connect with, you 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 connected that with the Myers Briggs person personality oh, type yeah. indicator. Do you yes. remember talking about that? I do. Yeah, I love the Myers Briggs. Yeah, I am a very big fan of the Myers Briggs because that was the first place where I was tested as an introvert, and I was like, "Oh, you mean there's not oh. something wrong with me?" <laughs> oh, thank God. Because I am very social. I can talk to people. I am very genuinely interested in people. I think people are really interesting. And I generally think most people, given the chance, will be kind. But if I'm in a room of more than six, after about an hour, I need to go be by myself. Oh, yeah, me too. I have this dream of going to RT with one of those sensory deprivation texts <laughs> and setting it up in the side of the hallway somewhere and being like, for a donation to a charity, you may have five minutes in the sensory deprivation tank. I would have like a line out the door. Yeah, you would make millions for the charity of your choice. But those things are so fucking expensive because it's like a big bowl of hot water, basically. It's like a, a submission or a, a submersion pool where it's everything's like 98 degrees. So would you talk a little bit about the? I think this is so interesting how you connected reading and heroines with the Myers-Briggs personality indicator. Well, that type of um, sort of not closed emotional closed offness, but... Um, I feel like the old school heroines are like very emotionally expressive and they're all about like they're the ones who like nurture the hero the hero and like I love those books but you know they they like nurture the the hero with the power of their like open heart and their like uh vivaciousness and they're the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And um I think that the sort of the type of heroine that I see a lot more of now that's the, like, emotionally um, – the one who you kind of have to pry the love out of her a little bit, um, I think is much more of, like, a like an NT, which is the – I always forget what the letters stand for. It's abstract thinking, but it's sort of the, like, geek – it's, like, the geek, the science geek personality type. Um, although I have the Myers-Briggs book and they, they are always like, all of these people are scientists. And it's like, well, I'm not a scientist. I'm an INTJ and <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a romance writer. I'm not a scientist. And, and all of the stuff is like in their laboratories, they do this. And it's like, oh my God, really? But, um, uh, but if you're an INTJ, the general temperament summary for that is a mastermind. So I know. I would... It makes me so happy. <laughs> But you were looking specifically at heroines who you would classify as NT. Yeah. And I just wonder if the um, – I feel like there's more, like, like people from, like, geek culture that are, that are writing romance now that come from that, like, sci-fi fantasy. Or not necessarily, but that, like I, – I feel like maybe there are more NTs writing romance now. And I don't know if that's true, but that was just something that I wondered about. That could be – that's kind of possible. One of the things that um, I think it was Nora Roberts who said this, that the, that the romance genre is very fluid and very welcoming. Mm -hmm. And so there's not only is there more overlap of different types of genre fiction, but women who are writing romance have found a very vibrant and welcoming community. Whereas in other genre communities, like yes. science fiction or fantasy, they may not have been so welcomed. And so they're bringing their, their love of science fiction and fantasy into the romance genre. And I know that if I say, this is a science fiction romance, Carrie will like show up on my doorstep and <laughs> be like, give it to me now. Put it in my eyeballs immediately. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. So you may be right. Maybe there are more writers who fit that type 
creating stories and creating characters that fit that personality type. What I found so interesting about how you explained it was that when you when you when you wrote to me what you said was that NTs, especially the introverted NT, they're less emotionally open. Maybe we're writing heroines who have trouble expressing their feelings because it's an exaggerated version of how we feel about ourselves. Yes. And I I that really resonated with me because one of the things that I have been looking at sort of pondering is the idea that the the heroine is supposed to be the emotionally fluent nurturing person and the hero was so, was back in you know back in old school mm-hmm. so very often emotionally inept completely closed unfamiliar with all of these pesky feelings like i remember mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a scene in <laughs> in devil's bride which is a book i must have read like 50 or 60 times by now where I forget what she did. Honoria did something stupid or something that Devil didn't like. <laughs> and they're in the carriage and he's all pissed off and he's like all rigid and shaking. He goes, I care for you too much. And she said, well, I suppose it's only fair because I love you so much it hurts too. And I'm like, he can't even say the words, girlfriend. You need to make him say, <laughs> just stick a nail in his foot until he says, I mean, come on, grow a pair. And so there's this this history of the woman being the nurturing emotional mm-hmm. fluency that teaches the man to to tune into his feelings. And what's funny is when I look at, for example, fatherhood, the portrayals of fatherhood are almost always distant, bumbling men who have no idea what to do with children. The men who are actually fathers, along with my husband, are mm-hmm. not that at all. They are stay-at-home dads. They are incredibly emotionally fluent. They are very attentive to raising emotionally healthy children. So this image does not fit reality. And just like in Heroes, I know very many men who are completely emotionally fluent, and I know many women who are not. So that expectation that women have to know all about emotions. Okay, well, what if she doesn't? Yeah, and I think that that's – I mean, I think part of it too is that – is, is I guess, feminism that – because I you feel just like said the, a very bad it, there's, word. There's so much criticism. <laughs> like, there's there used to be a much narrower box for heroines, and there there's still you know I still wish the box for heroines was a little bigger, but um, <laughs> box. I I feel like because readers often want to identify with the heroine, and not necessarily in a way where the heroine is exactly like them, but they want to be able to, while reading the story, put themselves in the heroine's place and sort of experience the story from her point of view. And I think that um, women are getting more comfortable with accessing the parts of themselves that are not nurturing, that are angry, that yes. are closed off, oh, yes. that are defensive, you know, and I think that it used to be really threatening. I mean, it's, it's just how, like, there used to be so many, what were they called, like, forced seductions. Yes. Right? Yes. Because the, the the heroine couldn't say, I want to have sex with you. No, horny pants not allowed. Right. So the hero had to make that move. And so, I, but, and I think that because, uh, you know, the reader, if the hero, the heroine was like a slut, that would be like a problem for the reader in like being able to like feel comfortable experiencing the story with her. Yes. I, I have never believed in the idea that, that readers are always looking to insert themselves into the story through the heroine. I've never been that reader. I understand certainly that there are, and certainly readers have articulated that very thing. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be in the heroine's place in this story. I totally get that, but that's not how I read. And I think more and more readers are comfortable reading across multiple characters. Yeah. 
And I personally am always looking for the emotion of the story. Like what, mm-hmm. how, what, for example, I always talk about this with, with Jane when we talk about the differences of how we review. I want to explain how a book made me feel in my review and then assign that a grade based on the result or the cause of that emotion and how it felt within the narrative structure. Jane is almost always looking at a book and saying, okay, how well did you argue for the happy ever after of this couple? And so I'm a big giant hump of like big whimpering mm-hmm. lump of feelings and I wish to articulate them. That doesn't mean I'm fluent in them. I just like to give them words. <laughs> so with your heroines, and you've been writing challenging uh, heroines who have definite opinions about themselves and other people. These are very unique characters who are not easy to, they're, they're not malleable. And they are, mm-hmm. not, they are yeah. not characters that are easy to relate with instantly. Have you, have you received a lot of positive reader comment about your heroines? I think a lot of people really loved Penny from In For a Penny. I mean, I, yeah, I do. Um, the only heroine that I've gotten like negative feedback about, like she's a bitch, is Serena from A Lily Among Thorns. She um, actually gotten... was kind of a bitch. Yeah, no, which she is totally why, was. Which is why she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, but that's the heroine that's gotten hate. Um, Penny and Phoebe, while they're both like, you're right, like they're, they're very, they're not, necessarily um flexible in in a lot of ways yes but i haven't really heard them classed in the like difficult heroine category one of the things that i think is interesting about serena is that she's pretty unapologetic about the fact that she does bad things yeah well i wanted her to be sort of an analog of that um particular type of of hero that was really popular in regencies at the time um who always had like shady connections with the underworld and you never really understood like why like did you (laughs) did you read the gamble by joan wolf no but you wrote about it in one of your email messages to me yes oh my gosh like he is on a first name basis with like every evil dude in london and it's like never explain like why these guys think that he's worth hanging out with like not (laughs) I didn't like him, but, like, if I was, like, the kingpin of the London underworld, like, I don't know what I would find useful about this, like, random angsty aristocrat guy. (laughs) Like, unless he's, like, helping them with his connections in, like, parliament. Like, I just don't know (laughs) what he brings to the table, but (laughs) I feel like it kind of started with uh, that... Georgia Hare, Regency Buck. No, is it Regency? Yeah, I think it's Regency Buck is the one where um, for some reason he's like investigating who's poisoning her brother. And at first you're supposed to think that maybe he's poisoning her brother, but of course he isn't. Um, But for some reason he has the resources to like investigate a murder. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like all these romance heroes and historical who are connected to the war office but never had to actually kill anybody. Mm -hmm. They were very, very dashing spies who never actually killed anyone. I mean, I guess if you're a spy, you probably don't want to kill somebody because it would draw attention to you, right? Of course. But they never did anything nefarious. They just had to go, you know, sneak around and then show up at a ball in a cravat and look good. <laughs> it was like a way of making them sort of dangerous. Whereas then you had the Lisa mm-hmm. Kleypas heroes who were actually, uh, is it Bow Street or Bow Street? I think it's Bow. I've always said it Bow Street in Okay, my let's head. pretend we're right. And if we're wrong, we'll just ignore it. But, you know, they were all both straight runners, for God's sake. They were like big, muscular, badass cops. Mm -hmm. And they were the heroes. They actually did difficult things. There was none of this sort of connection to the underworld. You know, I don't think 
I'm trying to think. I've read like one Lisa Claypass ever. Oh, she had a whole series about the runners you you would like. Really? Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, right. yes. I will check it out. She that plays awesome. with the same sort of things you do because she has always played with class boundary. Mm-hmm. And, and like even the Hathaways was an interesting series because they were connected to gypsy culture. And there's always a sort of a class boundary issue with many of her stories, particularly the ones where the guys are both street runners. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So with the next book that's coming out January 13th, that's True Pretenses. Yes. Is this guy Jewish? Yes. Because his name is Ash Cohen. And I was like, oh. And then my favorite thing, Asher, bless him. My favorite thing is that you asked for a somewhat Jewish looking guy without a waxed chest on the cover. I did. I did. Well, you know. And you got one. He has got a pelt. No, it makes you so happy. He kind of looks like David Duchovny a little bit. <laughs> He's really... seriously hot. Yes. And I do not go for beefcake covers. The man chest really has never done it for me. This is, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention. Yeah, and I think part of it is the hair because it, he, it doesn't have that weird unnatural sheen. No. That you sometimes get with the man chest where it's like too defined and like... Oh, yeah, and the and the muscles are oiled and they yeah. cast their own shadows. <laughs> there was I have talked about this before, but there was one time when I was doing an ad for a Maya Banks book and I had to completely blend out the man's the man's chest because when you zoomed in too close it looked like he was at least a C cup. Like you oh. were convinced you were looking at a naked female breast. It was that round <laughs> and that perfect. And I don't know what that guy did to his pectorals, but it was very effective. <laughs> like whatever if what? he he really did increase his bust with with whatever he was doing this guy looks hot but completely normal yeah i know it makes me so happy yeah i really didn't want because well first of all the heroine talks about his chest hair in the book so i like didn't want i just didn't want that to be erased on the cover you know and i, I support like this I decision could... i could say like i want a jewish model because like who knows if that's possible Yep. And like, but I wanted it. To, I didn't want some guy who like transparently was like, yeah. I didn't want some like Aryan wet dream on the cover of. <laughs> so you wanted someone who looked plausibly Jewish and did not yeah. have a wax chest and kaching. You got him. Yeah, you know they like Sam Hans really listened to my requests about covers. Like I requested a plus size model on the on Sweet Disorder, and they did it. I was, I was just sick looking with at that. Nerves when. Like, I was waiting for that cover because I was so afraid that they were going to put, like, a waif on the front, and they didn't. And I really appreciate that. When I was working on the uh, top ten list, the the way that the website formats the top ten list, the number one book has a big feature. Uh, the book the book cover is the biggest thing on the page. And I was looking at it, and I was sort of, you know, doing my thing. And I kept looking at it. And I'm like, what's, you know, what's that? What, what, what's different? <laughs> Hold the phone! <laughs> she has, like, real shoulders. And mm-hmm. um, and I can't see her clavicle all that much. She's actually uh, not thin. Like I was like, what? What's different? What's different? And then I looked at it. Was like, whoa! She really is a not super waif thin female. Yeah, my ca- my dream casting for that character is Melissa McCarthy. I love her. I love the heat. Would you believe I have not seen that? You know, it's not a perfect movie, but, like, it's a female buddy cop movie, and it's Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, and, like, I need nothing else. See, this is exactly my point. I just, I don't, I don't have a lot of two-hour time periods where I'm not interrupted by small people. 
Mm-hmm. So I need for them to go to camp next summer, and then I'm going to watch the heat. But the the oh yeah, that cover's gorgeous. Plus the cobalt blue is beautiful. I know, I love it, and I like I'm, they're they're both by Kim Killian, and like I'm like 99% sure she looked at my Pinterest. You know, like I filled out the form, right? And I put my Pinterest board on it in case they wanted to look at it, and like both the covers have that image at the bottom that's like you know it's like a house or a bridge or whatever, and they very clearly are like things that are similar to things that I had on my Pinterest board. Like I was really happy. That's amazing. And obviously they're beautiful. Like I don't they are really beautiful. The nice thing about these covers is they have such opulent color. They're mm-hmm. very saturated with color, both of them. With the new book, is this the the second Lively St. Lemiston book? Yes. How many are planned for the series? Because we have Sweet Disorder and now True Pretenses. How many more are planned for the series? Um, it's not a series with a defined stopping point, so I will keep writing them as long as people want to read them. Um, I have ideas that I'm really excited about for like five more books, but I don't know if that's going to be possible, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, but the next book is already sold to Sam Hain, and it will be out in Jan- probably January of 2016. That's not a firm date yet. but um, And it's going to be about, um, for people that have read Sweet Disorder, uh, Nick, the hero, has like a like an impassive valet or valet. The heroine has like a sassy maid, and they are the hero and heroine of the next book. Oh, my. Yes. I'm really excited guarantee you like four people were just like oh, I want to read that <laughs> I'm so excited I'm like I'm like 30,000 words in and I'm having so much fun. and you're having a really good time yeah. that's the best feeling like, yes. I'm really enjoying this that doesn't really matter if I finish right now because <laughs> I'm having a really good time so I have a I have one more question I wanted to ask you about sweet disorder mm-hmm. the plot hinges on the heroine having custody of a vote that she cannot exercise or two votes rather excuse me so she owns her husband's vote, but she can't cast it. That's not, I mean, what, you know, it's really not that important that readers understand exactly what's going on. So I, um, you know, whatever, but like people should just, you know, come up with whatever explanation makes sense to them and like go with it. But, um, the deal is that, uh, there are a bunch of different types of, of, legislative districts um, in the Regency, um, and they have different types of qualifications for who can vote. Right. Um, so some in some districts, everyone that pays the poor tax can vote. In some districts, um, the votes are attached to like particular sort of traditional properties. Um, and in some districts, which are called freeman boroughs, anyone who's a freeman of the borough can vote and the town charter has like explanations for how you become a freeman and typically you inherit it from your father or maybe you apprentice to a freeman you join a guild that members become freemen you you can purchase the freedom of the city um and so if there were districts where men could become freemen of the city and you could also it wasn't just for voting like you had other sort of civic privileges associated right. with it like in some towns you could get like a you could only freemen could have booths in the town market like that kind of thing right so um in a, in some districts uh you could become a freeman by marrying the daughter of a freeman um, and there were districts, the rule in Lively Slums, because I didn't want there to be like a bunch of these people running around, the rule in this town is that the eldest daughter of a freeman who died without heirs, her husband, well, she can make her husband a freeman. Right. Um, and that was that was a thing in, in some districts. Um, 
So if she marries, yeah, if she marries, her husband could become a Freeman without having to go through any other process. And then he would have, he would be able to vote. Um, so everyone wants. And, and to the two vote thing, actually every voter in Regency England had two votes. Um, and they basically, you, you could vote for up to two candidates. You didn't right. have to use both votes if only one candidate in your party was running, for example, but you could vote for up to two candidates. And then the two candidates with the most votes went to parliament. Did that make any sense? That totally Sorry. made sense. Okay. That made absolute sense. I think it's fascinating that you sort of were able to to build a plot on that idea because it's really, it's very interesting. I mean, when I was researching the history of women's suffrage in New Jersey, I learned that long, long, long before women's suffrage was even an idea, women had the right to vote in New Jersey if they owned a certain amount of land. So, of course, mm -hmm. that was restricted to women of some income, and, of course, yeah. they were white. But women had the vote a long-ass time ago before a bunch of guys were like, oh, well, in other states, they can't, so they shouldn't <laughs> be able to here because, well, yeah, reasons. Yeah. Actually, the first time that voters were officially legally classified as male only in England was the Reform Act of 1832. So it was a much later concept that yeah, became an issue. Yeah, there were a lot of women that had sort of not even, but that had various types of electoral privilege before that. And, and the idea of building a romance plot around that makes it very, very interesting because instead of building the idea that the hero is using the heroine for her wealth or only marrying her for her dowry, it's it's connecting with someone for political position. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I love about that plot is that the hero is actually supposed to like, she she's much of a much lower social class, so he's actually supposed to match her up with somebody else. That his yes. mother has picked out. And of course, I always love that that plot line where like the one of the characters is trying to like set up the other character with somebody else, but then they fall for them themselves. Like I'm a sucker for that. I love it when the 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 heroine is like, I need the hero to teach me to flirt. Like I love that one. Yes. Just in general, I just love it. That is that is one of my catnips, especially because most often the person that the heroine trusts to be honest with her about such things is someone that she's friends with. Mm -hmm. And then when they introduce the idea of sexuality and flirtation, they're like, wait, oh, this works really well with us. That's <laughs> not good. Oh, dear. That's not going to work right. And I That is, yeah, that is a very special flavor of my catnip. I would take a very large joint of that. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> so the book that you're working on now, do you have any idea when it might be finished or coming out? Is that going to be for 2015 or 2016? The, the one with the two servants? Yes. That's, um, it's tentatively January, it's going to be early, like by early 2016, and I think it's been set for January 2016. Yay, so you I have, have December, a deadline, January. I'm working on it, it's happening. That's lovely. All right, so one yeah. more question. What books have you read recently that you're really excited about that you'd want to talk about? Are there any oh, that you, you want to yeah. uh, mention? Oh, yes. Um, I have actually been, well, I'm reading, I'm right now, I'm like 80% of the way through, probably I'm going to go finish it right after this, but, um, gun, is it, what's it, Gunpowder Academy? Gunpowder? Oh, Gunpowder Alchemy. Alchemy, yes. I knew that, I knew it was started with an A and ended with a Y. Um, but yeah, Gunpowder Alchemy, the new Jeannie Lynn steampunk. So good. So good. Oh, yes. I, there is something about how Jeannie Lynn, like, structures a book that is so perfect for me. Like I always end her book like completely satisfied, which is kind of rare for me. Like a lot of times if a book falls apart for me, it's going to fall apart in the last like 30 pages where I oh, suddenly yes. realize that all the things I've hoped for aren't going to happen, you know? Oh, yes. 
And that never happened. Like, her books are just, like, perfect. Like, are you I'm familiar just... with uh, computer coding at all? Like, HTML Not, code? I mean, I can do really basic HTML code. But so, you know how in HTML code, when you open a tag and then you open another tag, you have to close the second one before you can close the first one? That your tags have to be nested. Uh-huh. So yeah. if you have a P tag and then there's a bold tag within that, the bold has to close before the P. And if there's italics after the bold, then the italics have to close before the bold and before the P. You have to nest them in the order in which they were opened to close them. Mm -hmm. So when I was at the Surrey International Writers Conference, I was actually giving a panel and I was up against Mary Robinette Kowal, which was a bummer because I wanted to see her panel, but couldn't because I was speaking. So of course I looked at the Twitter feed of her panel afterward because next best thing. She did this whole uh, presentation on the structure of a story and compared it to nesting code so that the conflicts that you introduce in order have to be resolved in the reverse order of which they're introduced. Wow. So it may be that what works for you is a, is a very logically nested series of conflicts. So big conflict is introduced with the world and then a conflict with the heroine and then a conflict with the hero. And in the end, the hero and then the heroine and then the world are, re are resolved so that the conflicts are nested appropriately. Wow, I'm going to have to look at that because that's fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Like I have yeah. been looking at reading with that idea in mind since I asked her about it. I was like, that's really brilliant. Yeah, because I always sort of like have this vague picture of like a book as like, remember how like in, in elementary school they taught you about how like a book has like a climax and a denouement and they always drew this like little line graph that yes. kind of went up at the end and then it went back down. Yeah, like I always imagine that, but it's not really that helpful for thinking about like, I can't like sit down and like draw one of those for a book, you know? Oh, no, not at all. So, yeah, wow. And if you think about what conflict is happening when you're writing a scene, that's very logical, but you can't necessarily predict the conflict of the scene that you haven't thought of yet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's often that when you go back to something you've already written, you're like, oh, 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 yes, nicely done past me. That was an excellent <laughs> idea. You'll, you'll see those threads pick up in later, in later chapters, but more times than not, when I ask an author about it, they're like, oh, yeah, that was a total accident. I didn't plan that. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's I all just, part of the, yeah, it's your subconscious wanting to organize things. Maybe secretly we're all really organized people. That's that would a beautiful be, dream. That would be nice, right? Because <laughs> I'm not that person <laughs> all right I have now. All do is like uncover the true organized person within. Yes, and... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what else are you reading um, or um, that you, I... would lo you have loved? I'm on like a total contemporary kick right now, actually, um, which rarely happens for me. But like, I'm just like all about it. I just read um, Indecent Proposal, the um, the Molly O'Keefe uh, Marriage of Convenience. Yeah. That made me really happy because I love Marriage of Convenience. And you don't see it that often in contemporaries for, I mean, I guess obvious reasons. Right. But it was so cool because um, he's like a politician and he's running, he's from this like corrupt political dynasty and he's running for Congress and they have, he's like going through personal whatever and she's a bartender and um, they meet at her bar and he's like have it going through like personal trauma and she reaches out and they have like a beautiful emotional one night stand and then she gets pregnant. Um, they, they did use protection though. It was just, it, it was one of those unavoidable things. Right. But, um, then he's like, I can't be like my father and just pay to hush this up. So they like, he's like, we have to get married. Whoa. 
But it's awesome. And, you know, it took me, like, a little bit to get into the book. But, like, we got to that scene where she's, like, showed up at his, like, fancy mansion and and his mother is being snooty to her. And I was just like, yes. Like, this is exactly what I want. I'm in the middle of Crooked Hearts, um, which is the Patricia Gaffney Jewish con artist book. Ooh. I... Yeah, it's um I mean I'm loving it. I waited I wanted to wait till I finished writing mine before before I read it. But it's like it's like a western and they meet. It's so cute because they meet on like the stagecoach and she's pretending to be a nun and he's Jewish and he's pretending to be like a Spanish rancher. Um and there's this bit where she's presenting her like ridiculous made up backstory for why she has a vocation to be a nun and it involves her friend like getting the stigmata in church. Whoa. And so she's explaining this and he's like, I'm sorry, getting the what? And she's like, the stigmata. I thought you said you were Catholic. And he's like, Oh yes, the stigmata, of course. That's silly me. But <laughs> <gasps> oh. like, he has like no clue. That's oh. so cute. Well, I uh, I have a book to recommend to you. Have you read yes. A Gentleman in the Street by Alicia Rye? I just – that's incredible. I just bought that book like yesterday. Okay. Since is, it, you, is it as good as I think it's going to be? Seriously? It is the most – it is seriously one of the most – and I, I say this in the best possible way. It is deliciously filthy. Like I have not read a book this filthy where I was like, I cannot read this on the same floor as my children. I must go downstairs <laughs> now. But here's what you, I think, will really like is that it inverts the billionaire trope brilliantly. The heroine is the billionaire. That's why I bought it. And she is unapologetically sexually voracious. She likes to have sex with lots of people lots of the times, as much as possible, with as many people under circumstances that she controls, and she has no problems with that. And the conflict rests on the fact that she, her, her mother, who is very traditional and very abusive towards her, married for like a year the hero's father so they were stepbrother and stepsister for like a year yes exactly long ass time ago and he has always been fascinated with her but they have he has never acted on it and she has always interpreted his actions as disapproval whereas Mm -hmm. what it was was he was trying to resist his feelings for her and he was i always love that one too yeah it's it's just there's something really solid about it like i thought you didn't actually like me no i actually didn't like the fact that i liked you (laughs) which doesn't sound much better but is different (laughs) so you will really really like that awesome yeah i'm probably i'll probably read that next after the the genie lynn especially Um, because if you've been on a contemporary kick you will like that very much yeah, I'm all about it. I also just read, which I heard about on one of your podcasts, um, A Bollywood Affair. Oh, I loved that book. Life-changing. Wasn't it glorious? Did you, so good. Don't read it while you're hungry. Oh, I know. I think I went out for Indian food like four times the oh. week after I read that book. Well, the night of the book club chat when I was hosting an online chat about it, I was like, we're ordering Indian food because I can't get through an hour <laughs> and a half talking about this book if I don't have some food here because it's just not going to work out well for anybody. I mean, it was. It wasn't it just... It, it was just incredible how well I, done that book was for me. It just, it was. I cried so many times. Like, <laughs> it is, uh, it, it, it was like for you with JD Lynn, it was the mm-hmm. book where I was like, this was exactly the thing that I wanted to read. It was perfect mm-hmm. for me. I was like, here is your cabinet. Please enjoy. I know. I'm so excited for the next one. I want it to come out sooner. I feel bad because I always like, when, when 
I mean, I know that it's like totally a compliment when people are like, I want, I, why isn't your book coming out sooner? But like, I feel weirdly guilty when people say that to me. So I try to not say it about other people, even though like I really want them to write faster. Right. But I really want her to write faster. Well, I know that for the next book she talked about in the in the chat, she talked about the next book, and it's related to that world, but it's a character that was only seen for a moment or two. I mm -hmm. want to read more books set in the Bollywood industry. Like yes. I want, I want, I want to, because she just took all these familiar tropes that were just so delicious when she wrote them. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Okay, well, before we go, is there anything else that you want to add or mention? Okay, on the twenty sixth. So uh, on Christmas, two things are going to happen. So every time that, uh, for every book that I write, I write a free short story based on reader suggestions that comes out when my next book, that I put up on my website when my next book comes out. No pressure. Um, based on the, reader suggestions. That's ballsy. That's fabulous. I love, I love proms. I love proms. Like I, I've written a lot of fan fiction as well. And um, I used to love taking proms. So now I don't really have time anymore, but... I used to, like, yeah, so I love it. Um, and I only have to pick one, so there's bound to be one that I, so, um, so the, for the first, for In for a Penny, I wrote a story about um, the secondary romance, and then for Lily Among Thorns, I wrote a short story about Solomon's little sister. And then for this one, I'm just going totally cracktastic. Somebody suggested Nick is a vampire and Phoebe is a dragon. <laughs> so I okay. wrote a story. I wrote a story in which Nick is a vampire and Phoebe is a dragon, and really not very much else is different. Um, okay, that's kind of awesome. I think it's really awesome, and I'm really excited, and I made, like, a little Photoshopped cover where Nick is, like, really pale. <laughs> so this is going to come out on the 26th. It's going to go up on, on Christmas. On so Christmas. So it will be up by the time people are listening to this. Oh, okay. um, It'll be on my website. Uh, just go to my blog. It'll be there. And would that be Rose Lerner? Dot com. Dot com. Yes. Fabulous. And then I also am going to be doing a gift basket for True Pretenses that will also be um, up by then. And I'm getting, I'm giving away um, copies of the ebook to like five, five commenters and then a, a basket. And the basket looks like a suitcase full of cash. Sure. Like con artist style. Nice. Um, and I'm giving away like Leverage Season 1 is going to be in there. There's like a Malachite necklace, like the one that the hero gives the heroine in the book. There's like a bunch of different cool con artist stuff and um, both Jenny Cruzy uh, con artist romances, um, the Dempsey books. Um, nice. So it's going to be awesome. That's also going to be on my blog. So people should enter. And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Rose Lerner for taking the time to speak with me and also putting up with my rather disgusting snotty voice. And also thank you for listening. Um, right after I recorded that I had the flu and then I had no voice. And I think this is the first I've been able to talk for like a week now. So I'm really pleased that as crappy as I sound, I'm able to talk. Yay. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix publisher of my cowboy homecoming, the steamy new novel from ZA Maxfield on sale now. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her at Sassy Outwater on Twitter. This is a Dusty Fiddles because there's nothing better than this album because it has the best holiday album name ever, but you already knew that. This is called Coventry Carol. Coventry Carol is a traditional English carol that dates back to the 16th century, and it was part of a mystery play. The full history is kind of depressing, so I won't get into the whole thing, but it's traditionally sung a cappella, 
And this version, of course, is by Deviations Project, because Adeste Fiddles is the greatest holiday album in the history of the universe, second only to Dominic the Christmas Donkey. Next week, I will have an interview with romance author and one of Time's People of the Year, or Person of the Year, author Jennifer McQuiston. And if you have ideas of who we should interview, or people we should speak to, or things that you think we ought to talk about on the podcast, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. We happen to love listener email because all of you have really interesting things to say. So if you're having a thought and you're thinking, I'd really email them, yes, yes, you should absolutely, no question, email us because we love that. In the meantime, Rose Lerner and Jane and myself all wish you the very happiest of holidays and the best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>